0: Okay, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Daniel, and we'll be in chapter number 11, the book of Daniel, chapter number, no, we're not in chapter number 11, I'm thinking of Hebrews, the book of Daniel, we're still in chapter number 4, Now I really advanced us there for a minute, if you remember in last week's study, uh, Nebuchadnezzar was at home, uh, he was at rest, uh, and he just seemed to have uh, the world by a string. I mean, he just he thought it couldn't get any better than uh, uh, the way things were going in his own life. But then he was shaken by this very vivid dream uh, in which he had a very disturbing vision, and so he immediately goes to his wise men to ask them for the interpretation. And I think he doesn't go to Daniel first. I think he I think in his heart he knows Daniel's the one who's going to give him the interpretation, but he wants to hear what these guys have to say. And then you know, if, if they're all in agreement and Daniel's in agreement, then he'll know for sure that the interpretation is true. But but he goes to them first, and and uh, they can't give him the interpretation, or they I'd say they don't, they don't want to give him the interpretation, and so his. Next choice is to go to Daniel, uh, who I think at this point he's a a trusted confidant of of, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's. uh, He's one of the leaders in his government, and he believes that Daniel is going to interpret the the dream. And so, let's pick up in verse number 18. Verse number 18, and again Nebuchadnezzar speaking here, which is kind of an amazing thing that we have this recorded here. You don't, you don't. We don't have tape recorders from back there, but for the king himself to write this really, really makes it personal and really makes it intriguing. In verse number 18, he says, This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belchazar, that's the name for Daniel, Baal, the keeper of Baal, declare its interpretation, since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known the interpretation. But you are able... For the Spirit of the Holy One dwells in you. Now, obviously, uh, Nebuchadnezzar knew that, that Daniel was special. He knew that he was able to give the interpretation, not because of his own wisdom, but because the Spirit of uh, God dwelt in him. You know, it's a really good thing. I'd say, go so far as to say it's a great thing when people see the Spirit of God dwelling in you. God places us in positions and he fills us with his his spirit so that we can be his witnesses. Now, I believe with all my heart that nobody can get saved unless God saves them, but God uses us and he fills us with his spirit for a purpose so that we can uh, be that light shining in darkness and and that's exactly what he did with Daniel. And all Daniel does really is plant a seed. But that seed, based upon his character and his integrity, that, based upon his relationship with the Lord, that seed is going to lead to the salvation of Nebuchadnezzar. We're going to see here later on in the story. All right, now pick up in verse number 19. And then Daniel, whose name was Belchazar, was astonished for a time. Now, if you have the King James Version, it says for an hour. And I believe that's the correct interpretation. For an hour, he heard the dream, and he was astonished. I mean, I said last week that I believe anybody that looked at his dream honestly could come up pretty close with the interpretation of the dream. And Daniel hears the dream, and he's dismayed. I mean, he's taken back, and he's taken back, for about an hour, because his thoughts troubled him, going on in the verse. And so the king spoke and said, Belshazzar, hey, don't let this dream and its interpretation trouble you. Uh, And Belshazzar answered and said, my Lord, may the dream concern those who hate you and its interpretation concern your enemies. That tells me that Daniel understood or knew the interpretation right away. And he was bewildered, and he doesn't really know how to break the news to Nebuchadnezzar. I think at this point he's very fond of Nebuchadnezzar. He's he's a leader in his government. He has a strong relationship with Nebuchadnezzar, and and this dream really disturbs him. Now I believe the other wise man had a good idea what the interpretation of the dream was, but they weren't going to tell Nebuchadnezzar because they knew that old adage about uh, uh, killing the messenger, and they didn't want to give Nebuchadnezzar bad news and, and, and be killed for it. And I, and I don't think Daniel's troubled for that reason. I don't think he's afraid he's going to get killed, now, he, although that might, that there's a possibility that could happen. He's troubled because Nebuchadnezzar is his friend, and so he hesitates. And Nebuchadnezzar senses his dismay, and so Nebuchadnezzar says, Look, Daniel, go ahead and give me the interpretation. I'm not going to hurt you. I mean, I want the truth. Give me the truth and, and, uh, uh, and, and, and tell, me, tell me the interpretation. Well, the interpretation was so bad. The, the consequences that were going to take place based upon Nebuchadnezzar's pride were so bad that Daniel said, hey, I, I wish, that, what's going to happen here? I wish it on your worst enemies. I wish it on the people that hate you. That's, in other words, he, in a roundabout way, he said, this is not good. I mean, the dream you've had does not bode well for you. And so he says, basically, let me give you the bad news first. So he gives him the bad news. There's some good news here, but he gives him the bad news. If you pick up in verse number 20, he says that the tree you saw which grew and became strong, whose height reached to the heavens and which could be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely and the fruit abundant. And we saw this when we looked at the dream last week in which was food for all. In other words, great Babylonian economies, what he's speaking up here and this great kingdom led by Nebuchadnezzar. He says, under which the beast of the field dwelt and in whose branches, the birds of the heaven have their home. And then in 22, Almost like Nathan when he said, it is you. He says, it is you. You're it. The dream's about you. O king who have grown and become strong, for your greatness has grown and reached, and reaches to the heavens and your dominion to the end of the earth. And inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one, we talked about who that was last week, coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stump and roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him graze uh, with the beast of the field till seven times pass over him or seven years. This is the interpretation. O king, this is the decree of, it's even worse than just an interpretation. This is the decree of the Most High God, which has come upon my Lord the King. In other words, the Lord has decreed it, and so you can't stop it from hap- happening. It's a done deal. And then he gives him, kind of summarizes the interpretation in, in verse number 25. He says, they, the watchers, or the, we talked about this last week, the angels, it could refer to to the Lord himself, because in Revelation we saw those seven eyes, uh, the Lamb of God who had seven eyes watching over the earth, and so uh, it could refer to to the Lord. Uh, At the very least, it refers to angels. But anyway, he says, They shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be among the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. Then they shall wet you with the dew's do of heaven and seven times shall pass over you till you know that the most until you know catch this that the most high rules in the kingdom of man and he gives to whomever he He gives it to whomever he chooses he raises up kings and he brings down kings until you understand that until you really understand that you're going to live like a beast. And it's going to take seven years for you really to understand that. I mean, if I'd heard that interpretation, I would have said, well, I understand that he's the most high. But do you really understand that when you say that? That's like, that's like that verse in Proverbs that says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. You know, I think one of the hardest things to do for a human being is to humble themselves. You I mean, I, I mean. It, we, we can say we'll humble ourselves, but usually what has to happen for us to be humble? God has to knock us down a notch. And I think he, especially for the children of God, he's constantly knocking us down a notch. I mean, it's a good thing to stay really low if you don't want to get hit. And so you stay really low when you're dealing with the Lord and, and uh, don't lift yourself up. Let him lift yourself up and, and uh, you'll do a lot better. Anyway, he summarizes the interpretation, and it doesn't. It's terrible. He says you're going to be given the heart of a beast, an animal, and you're going to live like a beast. Your associates aren't going to be people anymore. You're going to live with the animals. Your associates are going to be animals, and virtually you're going to be insane. And you're going to be insane for seven years until you're humbled and you know that that God is the King of Kings and that he is the one who raises up kings, and he's the one who brings kings down. That's pretty bad news. It would have been worse if he had said, you're going to do this for seven years, and then the Lord's going to kill you. But there's some good news here. Look at the good news. Now that he gives them the good news in verse number 26, listen to what he says. And inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump, and we talked about this last week, obviously a stump still has life in it. It still has roots. And so inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and the roots of the tree, that's good news for you because your kingdom shall be assured. After you come to know that the heaven rules, after seven years, your kingdom's going to be restored to you. And so that was good news. You're not going to be utterly destroyed. And that would tell me that no matter where Nebuchadnezzar was in this state of being a beast, that God was going to protect him. God was going to protect him because God promises that your kingdom is going to be restored, so nobody's going to be able to harm you. Think of all the enemies that would have taken advantage of this situation and and put Nebuchadnezzar away or killed Nebuchadnezzar, and they would have had a, a secular reason for doing that. But I think his counselors and his wise men are privy to this dream and the interpretation of this dream, and they realize all during these seven years that he's coming back. And that this God, this most high God who, who walked with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego on the fire and, and interpreted, gave, gave Nebuchadnezzar his first dream and the interpretation of that dream. And now he's given the interpretation of this dream. This most high God is on his side and we better leave him alone. And, I, and in that sense, I think he was protected for those seven years. And, and so uh, Daniel basically says at the end of these seven years, uh, your kingdom is going to be restored. And here's the reason it's going to be restored because you're going to be a humble man when all of this is over how long did it take to make him a humble man seven years i mean if it had taken five years it would have been five years but that seven is god's number of perfection uh i'm surprised it wasn't 40 years because a lot of times 40 years is the number of a trial and so so he better be glad he used the seven instead of the 40. But then he'll be humbled, and you'll know that that the Lord rules is the one who rules heaven and who rules earth. But you're going to be saved. I mean, here's here's the really good news for Nebuchadnezzar. The really good news for any of us when God begins to work hard on humbling us is that in his omniscience, in in the fact that he knows all, that means... He hasn't given up on us, and he sees the possibility that we can be saved. You know, you see people going about their business and as, as if people like Nebuchadnezzar and people who, are, who, who just really stick their, you know, their thumbs in God's eye and they seem to get away with it. Man, that's a dangerous place to be. I mean, the very fact that God is going to work in Nebuchadnezzar's life for seven years tells me that God knew that Nebuchadnezzar could get saved. And he was worth saving. And so he's going to save this man. That's the really good news of, of, that, that uh, Daniel was giving him at this point. All right, now in verse number 27. It says, therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Look, let me give you some advice here. Break, humble yourself. Break all your sins. Break off all your sins. Be, live righteously. Uh, break away from your iniquities. And here's a way you can do that. You can show, Instead of being so harsh on the poor, show mercy to the poor. And perhaps there will be a lengthening of your prosperity or a delay in this judgment. Either way, God had decreed it, it was going to happen. I mean, there was no way you were going to stop it from happening, but maybe you can delay it by putting away your pride and doing these things. You know, I actually believe if Nebuchadnezzar, if it was possible for him to humble himself, and he was willing to humble himself, he actually could have abated the whole thing. But the reason God decreed it was he knew it wasn't possible. Again, I think it's it's impossible for a lot of people to humble themselves. I think it was impossible for me to humble myself to where I got saved. And you've got to humble yourself in order to get saved. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you don't get the kingdom of heaven, you don't get into the kingdom of heaven until you become poor in spirit. And so, man, I'm glad God humbled me. And I think a lot of you could give that testimony. Maybe there are a few in here, you just humbled yourself. Well, that's good. You saved yourself a lot of grief. But for most of it, that's a a very difficult thing to do. Uh, Almost an impossible thing to do. And so, Daniel says, look, and Daniel's speaking by the Spirit of God, and I think maybe he could have delayed this judgment. But Nebuchadnezzar didn't pay heed to Daniel's warning. And as the time passed, the 12 months passed, the year passed, Nebuchadnezzar pretty much brushed aside the warning, and and he wasn't afraid of the Lord anymore, and so he went on doing the same things he was doing before God warned him in the dream. You know, it's like Solomon says in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 11, because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of man is fully set on doing evil. And I think Nebuchadnezzar, you know, I think at first he was afraid and probably tried to help the poor and probably live righteously, and then, you know, nothing's happening here. I mean, I'm going to go back to my old ways and, and uh, you know, heck with this, this being a nice guy. I'm going to, I'm going to be the king. I'm, I'm, I am the king, and people are going to honor me as king, and I'm not going to humble myself. I don't know if he actually said those words, but I think that's what was in his heart. And then in verse number 28, he says, all this came upon Nebuchadnezzar. Now we're, now, now he's going to have to learn the hard way. At the end of 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. Now watch the pronouns here. And the king spoke saying, is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling place by my mighty power? Had he humbled himself at this point? I don't think so. And for the honor of my majesty. Majesty. Now, that's pretty bold talk for a guy who's been warned that he needs to humble himself. It's a real bold talk. But you know what? From a worldly standpoint at this point, Nebuchadnezzar had a lot to boast about. You study Nebuchadnezzar and you, you look at some of the archaeological evidence for, for the building projects that he took on. His passion was like Herod's passion. It was to build the greatest city in the world. I mean, Herod's passion was to make Jerusalem the greatest city in the world. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar's pa- passion was to make Babylon the greatest city in the world. And, and I think he pretty much succeeded at that. Uh, in the ruins of Babylon, they found over 50 buildings with Nebuchadnezzar's name inscribed upon it, that, that uh, him as the builder and architect of those buildings. And, and if you read any of the ancient writings of that time, anybody who went to Babylon spoke about the hanging gardens of Babylon, one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. Now, they, they obviously didn't survive, but they were. it was a spectacular. It's like he built this great city as a mall and had all of this greenery and, and all of this, this uh, natural... Uh, beauty within the walls of the city and and so anybody that went there just you know went on and on and on about about the hanging gardens of of Babylon, and so he was getting pretty puffed up again he looks out he's walking out and he looks at the great city and he says, I built this city with uh, you know uh, and for the honor of my majesty for my honor, not for god's honor but for my honor so uh, he was puffed up. He was, he, he, instead of humbling himself, he actually got more puffed up in pride. And uh, that helped him forget his dream. But let me ask you a question. Had God forgotten his dream? Uh-uh. The Most High had made a decree, and, and now the hammer's about to come down. Look at verse number 31. It said, While the, while the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, To you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. And they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling place shall be with the beast of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like an oxen. And seven times shall pass over you until you know the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. So at that very moment, Nebuchadnezzar's trial trial begins. Then, Then in verse number 33, it says, That very hour. The word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men, and, and he, he ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagles' feathers and his nails like bird claws. Does that remind you of anybody? Anybody in, in the modern era, does that remind you of anybody? Do you remember? Have you ever seen pictures of Howard Hughes in his last days? How he just he became like a beast, like an animal? Uh Uh, how his nails grew out. Go on the Internet and look at some of those pictures. His nails were like this long. His hair was like just shaggy and like that. He didn't take any baths. Uh, I mean, this was the richest man in the world. And he went insane. I mean, he never humbled himself, obviously. And he lived like an animal. And so it's a good picture if you look at that. I don't know if he ate grass or not. I don't think he ate grass, but but, uh, he certainly wasn't the man he used to be. Now, scholars speculate on where Nebuchadnezzar spent these seven years. Some people believe he spent them out in the woods, outside the gates. That's a possibility. The the problem with that is he had so many enemies among the people, uh, it would have been a real dangerous situation. But God said he was going to make it through the seven years, so God could have protected him no matter where he was at. A lot of people believe that he lived within the gardens, that he roamed the gardens, the, the, the hanging gardens, and, and that there was an iron cage there that, that kind of set his boundaries. And that kind of goes with the, the uh, circle of iron that you, you see in the dream. And so, so that's possible that, that, that uh, that's where he lived. But in any case, uh, regardless of which interpretation you, you, you take, I mean, for seven years, he lived like an animal. And for seven years, God protected him. And I think his counselors and his wise men protected him because they believed the dream too. They believed the interpretation. They believed at the end of seven years that he was was going to come back into power and you didn't want to be on his bad side when he came back into power. And so, just as God said it would happen, at the end of seven years, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar regained his sanity. Look at verse number 34. At the end of this time of the seven years... I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted... Now, the pronouns are still the same, but they're not about him anymore. They're about the Lord. Watch this. He says, at the end of the time, the seven years, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me. And what was the first thing I did? I blessed the God Most High, Jehovah God. And I praised him, and I honored him, the one who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is is from generation to generation. He's the God forever. He's my God forever. So see, Nebuchadnezzar gained a lot more here than just his sanity. He gained gained his salvation. I have no doubt he gained his salvation because he was a humbled man. Uh, he, he 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 had gained his soul. What did Jesus say about that? What does it profit of man if he gained the whole world and yet lose his soul? I mean, Nebuchadnezzar had gained the whole world, but he was losing his soul. You know, i tell you one of the things I see this, is this, that God can save anybody. We think God just saves poor people. Blessed are the poor in spirit, doesn't mean you're poor financially. It means you're, you're humbled, you've been humbled. You understand that you're a sinner. You understand that you, you, uh, you need the Lord. I mean, the problem with the rich young ruler wasn't that, that he was rich, as some people interpret that, that uh, story. The problem with the rich young ruler is that he thought he was righteous enough to make it into the kingdom of God. He refused to humble himself. And here was this great king who said... He, he was this, had all of this majesty, and he thought before this happened that he was great enough to enter the kingdom of heaven. He probably said, i do a lot of good things for this. Look at all the people benefiting from my kingdom. But God humbled him, and uh, he gained his soul. And in order to do that, God had to take everything away from him. He said, I blessed the most high God, and I praised and honored him no longer was Jehovah just Daniel's God and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego's God. Uh, Jehovah was, was Nebuchadnezzar's God. Then in verse number 35, he says, all the inhabitants of the earth, listen, listen to the how he praises God. All the what's all mean in the Hebrew? All, that means himself included. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. I'm the king, but I'm nothing. Daniel's a great prophet, but he's nothing. My w- w- wise men and counselors are nothing. The people are nothing. We're all nothing. God is everything. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? I mean, Nebuchadnezzar knew at that point that he had no right to ever question God about anything. I and mean, we don't either. And so he, he was humble. And he learned about the mercy of God. Look at verse number 36. At the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. Because I could handle it now. My counselors and nobles resorted to me. I mean, I was back in power. I was restored to my kingdom. And watch this. Now, here was the most majestic king in the world. And listen to what he says. An excellent Majesty was added to me. Excellent majesty. Now, he thought he had excellent majesty before he was humbled. What excellent majesty was added to Nebuchadnezzar? I'll tell you what it was humility. It was humility. You know what makes someone majestic? I, 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 certainly in God's eyes. But in the world's eyes, too, it's humility. It's humility. How many of you saw American Pharaoh win the triple crown? You talk about a majestic horse, a beautiful horse. I didn't hear one time after the race that horse bragging about himself. Now, obviously, horses can't talk, so he couldn't brag about himself. But when you watched him run, He didn't bite. He had a whip hitting him on the back. He didn't bite. He didn't kick when he was in the gate. He was this tall, beautiful horse under the reins of men. And all he did was do what he did best. He ran. Talk about a majestic horse. I mean, we have politicians, and we're about to get into the politician season now again, who are pompous and proud, and they're blowhards. And all they want to talk about is how majestic they are. I was listening to, and I'm not telling you don't vote for this guy. I mean, I'm, I'm sure he would be okay, but I was listening to Christy the other day talking about all the great things he's done in New Jersey and what a wonderful man he is I was like man you're pretty proud you're pretty proud of yourself you know the really great leaders that I've ever seen or I've ever read about were humble men humble men like George Washington who led the Continental Army to a great victory over Britain. And when the battle was over and all his generals were saying, go into Washington and and declare yourself king. You know what he did? He humbled himself, went to Congress and handed his sword, handed them his sword and he resigned his commission. You talk about a majestic man with excellent majesty. George Washington, I think of, Dwight Eisenhower, I mean, he was another guy who, who led the armies to a great victory in World War II, and he comes back, and I mean, he's just a country guy, a humble man, not a blowhard, not some bombastic politician, but a humble man. Men like that, men and women like that, make great leaders. I mean, if you here of any, let me know. I want to vote for him think maybe there are a few this time. But that's the kind of man Nebuchadnezzar came, became after, after that time of being a beast. Look at verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the real king, the king of heaven, all of those, all whose works are truth. He knew the way, the truth, and the life now, didn't he? And his ways are just. His ways are justice. And those who walk in pride like me, even a king, the greatest king on earth, he is able to put down. You can't tell me that Nebuchadnezzar wasn't saved at that point. I mean, listen to his words. I now praise and extol the Lord God. I mean, God's no respecter of persons. He can save the king as much as he can save the subject. He can save the rich as much as he can save the poor. He can save the mighty as much as he can save the weak. And here was this rich and mighty man, Nebuchadnezzar, who I have no doubt got saved. How did he get saved? Well, I think, first of all, or not necessarily in any order of importance, but I'll list it first, is that he was greatly influenced by Daniel. Not so much by Daniel's words, but by Daniel's character, by Daniel's integrity, by his kindness, by his wisdom, because he was full of the Spirit of God. And Nebuchadnezzar saw that. Secondly, the second reason I believe he was saved is that Nebuchadnezzar became fond of this man. I mean, I'm sorry, Daniel became fond of this man. And what did Daniel do three times a day? What did he do? He prayed. And you know what I bet you when he was praying, I bet you anything. I bet you he prayed for Nebuchadnezzar's salvation. And I bet you God heard that prayer. But you know, none of those things work. You can be around a great witness of Christ. You can have somebody praying for you till you're blue in the face. But none of it works unless a person is willing to submit to God and allow himself to be humbled. I mean, there's some proud people out there. I I, I don't care how hard you pray for them and how great a witness you are. They're not going to get saved. Because they're never going to humble themselves. Where you kind of know that your prayers are working is where you see your friends start acting like beasts. Or you see your friends in a lot of trouble, a lot of difficulty. And you think, man, they'll never get saved. When in reality, those are the situations that God has placed them in in order to humble them and to get them saved. So be encouraged. Be encouraged. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar was humbled. He was saved. And I believe one day you'll see him in glory. You'll see King Nebuchadnezzar probably right there talking to Daniel in glory. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for the good news of the gospel. And Lord, for your heart that says you wish that none should perish. Even a pagan king, Lord, serving pagan gods. Lord, you're the hound of heaven and you use Daniel to chase him down. That was just one of your many purposes, Lord. Lord, you work in so many wonderful and fascinating ways and we were given privy of that tonight. To see this great proud man broken and humbled and, and then become a man of great majesty. Father, we just are encouraged to, to be like Daniel and be that light around those people that we know that are lost and to pray for them, Lord, to put them in our prayers each day. And Lord, and then just back off and let you do the rest of the work. Lord, we just thank you for just all you're doing in our lives through Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.